Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1294 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday in the middle of August. Thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast. Make us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and anywhere you like to find your podcasts. Today's episode is actually going to be part one of two with Andrew Kelly of Peachtree Hoops. Andrew is very smart about the Hawks and the NBA overall. Part one is going to be touching on all kinds of Hawks stuff, from the bench to A.J. Griffin to Jalen Johnson to DeJounte Murray and Paolo Boncaro, some of the fun stuff at the top. And then uh, part two later on today, actually posted, when you're listening to this podcast, part two should already be there as well. We'll be uh, mostly on DeAndre Hunter's extension talks and kind of where he is as a player, as well as uh, sort of general thoughts on how good the Hawks might be this season. So that's all coming up today on the podcast. Please take a moment and subscribe to our show. Also, uh, stay tuned for part two at the end of this. And without further delay, you'll hear the intro and myself and Andrew Kelly. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm joined by friend of the podcast, a recurring guest of the show, Andrew Kelly of Peachtree Hoops and all over the internet. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. It's my pleasure. It's been a little while. I went back and looked. It's been like three months as you and I talked. We talked about a bunch of fake trades. I'm not sure we had DeJounte Murray uh, prominent on our fake trade list <laughs> when that happened. Yeah. I thought uh, just to, in, in our defense, he wasn't supposed to be available, but then he was available. And that all happened. We did like 20 different players too, you know? You would think we would have hit on one, but it came out of nowhere for me. And me. Uh, obviously, we, we, we could talk about that. It's just uh, kind of a funny confluence there because I think, like I said, uh, and even I talked to Matthew Tynan, I don't think anybody uh, back in May was thinking DeJounte Murray was going to be traded before the end of the offseason. So that's part of, part of our excuse. But uh, speaking of Murray, this is more of a funny topic than anything else. But I have to ask you, uh, people have been asking me, and uh, you know my brand very well. It's not really up my alley necessarily. But what do you make of the DeJounte Murray, Paulo Bencaro back and forth? Because that's uh, gotten some uh, got more, more viral news. I'm sure it's news. It's just more of that uh, kind of funny offseason conversation. But those two apparently going at it these days? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're in uh, the doldrums of the NBA offseason, so there's not a lot going around. So when you have a uh, an all-star that gets into a, a mix with a number one pick, it's going to make the rounds. They're both from the same area, too. Clearly, they knew each other. So it's one of those things where you feel like when they play each other during the season, they're going to, you know, swap jerseys after the game and squash it or whatever. But you know, DeJounte is a very competitive guy. He's a very chippy guy. You can see a lot of these highlights of these pro-am games. Like, he's really going at people. He wants to show guys up. And he plays with a lot of an edge. And, you know, I think that is something the Hawks kind of lacked at times. They do need, I think, more of an aggressive personality. Sometimes somebody that's willing to kind of force the issue. And uh, he's got the dog in him. I think fans are going to like that. Yeah, he does have the dog in him for sure. Um you know, like I said, I, I really have no takes on this. It's just kind of uh, kind of funny. And uh, we were talking a little bit offline, I'm not trying to out our conversations, but we were talking about the fact that it seems like there's going to be some uh, some I don't know what the what the word is animosity, uh, maybe some maybe some vibes against uh, Trey and Dejounte as this backcourt that has they're very different people, but obviously Trey's gotten a lot of uh, I don't want to say hate, but a lot of you know pushback on him over the years already. Just number one, he's awesome, and number two, the way he carries himself in New York, all that fun stuff, and now Dejounte is kind of putting that too. It seems like the Hawks are going to have kind of a hateable backcourt. Which if you're on the if you're on this side of it, uh, sort of observing the Hawks is kind of fun. I think from the inside or on the outside, you might not like them very much, which is kind of kind of interesting. Nothing else. 
Yeah, it's it's a villainous backcourt. That's what it looks like. And and they're different sorts of villains too. You know, Trey's more of a showman. He had the bow in New York after they knocked out the Knicks. DeJounte has kind of a different approach. He's just, you know, he's similar to Patrick Beverly in some ways. Um, so it's different styles, but I think that they're gonna combine together to create, you know, some really incredible synergy as far as hateability. <laughs> I think you're gonna see a lot of opposing <laughs> fans just really, you know, get after them. And I'm excited to watch it though. Like I said, it brings a different uh, energy dynamic that I think they've needed, but yeah, it's, it's definitely going to get on people's nerves. I think. Yeah. I think that's probably the case. And listen, if you're a Hawks fan, you can probably just embrace it. And for, for the longest time, I know, you know, this having followed the team for quite some time, uh, the Hawks have been kind of boring for a long time, not in a way that I dislike, like even when they were really good in the 2010s, they were not the most exciting team in the world between Joe Johnson and those years. And then you get into Millsap and Horford, those guys, I, well, I love them all, not the most exciting characters in the world. So this is definitely a new, uh, new look for the Hawks and then sort of a new vibe for the Hawks is sort of this, maybe, uh, maybe a team that has some enemies around the league in a way that the other teams did not. Um, I do want to ask you, obviously we can spend time on this if you want to or not, but there's been a lot of talk about the Murray trade the entire time since it happened. It's been, you know, you know, a month plus now. Uh, offseason grades were happening. I saw people sort of getting, getting mad at Nate Duncan and Daniel LaRue about their grades, about the Hawks and evaluations of that trade. I've talked about it a lot, so I'm going to save my thoughts. But what did you make of the Murray trade now that we've had a little bit, a little bit more time to sort of uh, digest it? I know you are someone who keeps an eye on the entire league and kind of evaluates these things in a vacuum. So what did you make of that transaction on the whole? Well, I think there's a lot of different angles to consider. One is that they've been looking for this particular type of player for some time. There were rumors that they tried to get in on the Drew Holiday trade. Um, they've wanted more of a defender to pair with Trey. They've wanted a creator and somebody who could create his own shot next to Trey. So they sort of got that all in one package of Murray. Um, but when you look at what they gave up, I can understand why people feel like they might have overpaid. I mean, when you look at players that have tended to go for unprotected picks, it's been like Anthony Davis and Paul George, uh, now Rudy, Rudy Gobert. And I mean, people are, are going to be lower on Gobert, but he has won three defensive players of the years. He's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. And when you look at the type of players that have gone for those picks compared to Murray, certainly Murray's resume just isn't as impressive as theirs. However, he's coming off uh, the best season of his career. I thought he was a very worthy all-star Um the Spurs exceeded their win total. He really carried them to the play-in just uh, in a lot of different ways, defense and offense. He contributed in a lot of different factors. But uh, the trade itself, uh, I think it is a bit of an overpay. But the way I tend to look at things is if, if you're getting a high-level talent, like a top 40 player, and it's not an insane haul, and that's – I would probably consider the, the Gobert trade an insane haul, and I think a lot would agree with that. Yeah. Um, as long as I feel like you can give, you know, at least a B minus or B for the trade overall, then I'm going to do that if I'm getting a top 40 player back. So it is a lot to give up, but they're getting a guy that is sort of entering his super prime years. You know, he's hitting his age 26 season. He's the same age as Donovan Mitchell. Um, he's a long-term fit with Trey. Uh, I, I think the defense is just going to help so much and having somebody to kind of take pressure off Trey. Uh, we saw in the playoffs how that can be a big issue at times. And if he can unlock some of his off-ball game, um, you can see the offense start to become more dynamic, less centralized. There's just a lot of different ripples that could transpire if, if the fit works well. So I do like it overall. They did give up a lot. And I think it's fair to question that. But I do like the fit. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that uh, kind of commands and requires nuance in a way that the Internet does not always love to happen because – 
I'm kind of in the same place as you. Like, I think objectively speaking, take a, take a few steps back. If you're a national person evaluating this deal, you could say reasonably that's kind of, that it's an overpay for the Hawks. At the same time, you and I agree that like the you know the fit may not, may not be perfect, but he sort of checks so many boxes that they wanted. Um, and for one, like you have to kind of overpay most of the time on a deal for a player that you think is as good as he is. And I think that you know if you're the Hawks. It can be an overpay. I, I, I bet you if I got uh, sort of either Travis or Landry Fields cornered with true serum and asked them, look, do you think you overpaid a little bit for DeJounte? The answer might be yes. I don't know that for sure. I'm not reporting that. But like that doesn't really matter. And honestly, as people have sort of paid attention to Travis over the years, he's not a big value guy anyway. He's not someone as a, as a decision maker, front office leader, GM, not president of basketball operations that really takes that into account a ton. Um, maybe not as much as I would even, but like he's more of a like a gut guy, more of a scout, more of a scout at heart. And I think that that's part of this too. Like I think it does make it look better the way that the Gobert deal went down because Gobert is better than Murray. Um, I'm sure that there were people that won't love that I say that and that you said that, but Gobert is better than Murray. But at the same time, Gobert is older. There's a lot more downside. He's making a lot more money. And the package was just crazy. I mean, they, they gave up so much in that deal. Not even not even just the picks, but all the like solid role players that they just threw in that deal to make the money work. It was Honestly, a stunning deal. Yeah, I mean, the Hawks gave up gallo and but it was gallo on a deal that he was not gonna be back anyway like we kind of all had waved goodbye to gallo at this point anyway so like i think that's one of the things that gets overlooked about the gobert deal not to go on that whole tangent but like it wasn't just the picks it was a lot of picks but they also just threw in guys that can play and like just as salary filler plus like walker kessler who they just drafted in the first round etc etc so like you know, it does make the Murray value look better. I think you and I are on the same page overall. Like, it, it's an interesting move for the Hawks. It gives them their number two guy they haven't had before. And, and yeah, they probably overpaid. But, like, if it works, no one's going to care. That's kind of what I'll say about it. Like, I don't, I don't know how you feel, but, like, if, if, they, if they won a bunch of games this year and next year, no one's going to be like, oh, what? well, they could have got back a little, bit, a little bit less than that deal. It was like, you know, they, they made the transaction, they got the player they wanted, and it worked. Yeah, and I tend to err more on the side of proven talent than unproven talent, too. I mean, picks look good until they become players. That's just reality. Um, <laughs> yeah. Certainly, you give up some flexibility when you're not able to trade those picks down the line, for example, if you wanted to improve your team because you owe them. That that makes things uh, harder there. But, I mean, the way I look at it is I think they are tend to – they're trying to kind of bet on him being like an approximation of Drew Holiday in a way. Like, maybe not quite like a top 20 player, but – um, somebody that can really impact the game and the playoffs for you. Um, so I just really like the fit overall. I mean, the offense, there's going to have to be some growing pains, I think, and they're going to have to get used to Trey not having the ball in his hands quite as much, and that could be a detriment even at times. But I do think that there's a lot of upside there. And just having somebody that could consistently win those four-on-three matchups, you know, that was sort of a an Achilles heel for them at times. I mean, they had success every now and then with Herter, but – they really just had two good secondary creators, and now they have a legit, you know, primary creator to throw next to Trey. You just don't see that very often, and it's a big advantage too to have that where you can stagger them and have two primaries on the floor at, at all times. Like it's it's very rare that you see that, and it's an effective weapon to have. So I, I think all in all, like it is a lot to give up, but it's a trade that I would have made. Makes sense to me for sure. Um, we'll have a lot more with myself, Andrew, in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. 
Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online Football. It's basically here at this stage with the NFL preseason already underway and college football setting off in just a few weeks. And BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check out all of your sports betting needs that you might have right now and always. Find all of the latest sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games with a ton of feature-facing action on the site that includes title odds and pro football and college football, as well as win totals, season-long props, exotics, and more. Find reviews and news of every league that includes MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, all of college sports, combat sports, esports, soccer, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, rugby, entertainment bets, and much more. And BetOnline is also the top online resource for all the wager information that you're likely to be seeking at the stage. That includes live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, and they have you covered across the board. BetOnline also has casino games, poker, and other ways to get on the action. And if you go BetOnline right now on your mobile device or your computer, you check out all of the trends and the action that's happening across the sports world today. BetOnline is where the game starts. Andrew, before we move on from Murray entirely, I want to uh, just kind of gauge you sort of talked about it a little bit before we went to the break but I wanted to touch on this too like I talked about the Eastern Conference with Bill DeFilippo earlier last week and into this week and I talked a little bit about the you know Miami series and all that stuff and I I think it's obviously a direct reaction to what the Hawks couldn't do in that series to acquire Murray not, not necessarily just him but someone of his ilk someone who can do what he can do on the floor and I think that the Hawks said it a lot um, coming out of that series, Landry Fields did, Travis Schlenk did. They wanted, they wanted more ball handling, et cetera. Like, you know, does, how much does that transform this offense? Because obviously on paper, the offense is not the problem last year. We all know that. And Murray's, a lot of his value comes defensively as well. But at the same time, if, if they stagger, and we think that they're probably going to, I know you and I agree on that. Um, if they were to stagger these guys, like how much does that unlock for them? Because it kind of just allows them to have for the first time in this entire Trey Young era, you know, 48 minutes of a, uh, of a high-level creator on the floor. Well, I think that it's very important if you want to be a long-term contender to not just have one decision maker on offense. And that's effectively what they've had with Trey. So now you add a second decision maker who can help with sort of the fatigue that adds up on Trey over the season, the little injuries and things like that, not having to lock in at all times to lead the offense. I think is a big advantage when you have another guy that you can rely on. Um, I'm very interested just to see what they can do off ball with Trey because he's been an excellent you know, catch and shoot guy over his career. The opportunities have been, you know, few and far between, but when he has done it, he's looked good. I mean, just little things like relocating consistently. He doesn't really do that. He's, you know, he'll stand around, you know, five feet behind the three point line when he doesn't have the ball. And that's something that's going to have to change. Um, we saw that quote from Nate McMillan that he had been working on some off ball stuff with Trey in Oklahoma. So that's something that they'll have to look to implement. Um, but if you can really just you know, make your offense more dynamic and not have such a centralized decision structure at all times, like they had with Trey, um, I think you just unlock a lot more ceiling, you know, it's, it's funny to say that too, because they were the number two offense last year, but <laughs> yeah. when you look at the playoffs, like going back to the, the year prior, like they, the offense has underachieved a bit. I mean, certainly they've gone against some incredible defenses, but that's what you're going to see in the playoffs. Um, it's just a lot harder when you just have one guy that you're running everything through and, you know, even the best version of like the, the hardened rockets they had, you know, Chris Paul, it's, it's very important to have another guy that can, can take some pressure off. So I am pretty excited to see how they do. For sure. I, I totally agree. Um, while I, while I have you, we're going to we'll get to DeAndre Hunter in a moment, because that's uh, sort of the centerpiece of why I want to talk to you about a lot of different stuff, but because I know you are uh, someone who follows every bit of the Hawks very deeply, I can go a little bit deeper with you than some. And like, I wonder what you make of the bench because Every time I kind of bring it up as a concern, some there's a there's a faction of the listenership, and I'm not blaming them necessarily. It's just one of those things where like they're thinking I'm overlooking Murray or whatever. And it's, I'm not saying that the Hawks are worse. In fact, I've said that they have the most talented rush they've had in the entire Troy Young era. At the same time, 
yes, they got Murray and their starters are better. I think mean, that's definitely true. But the bench is a concern for me on some level. Um, I want to ask about the young guys, too, and A.J. Griffin and Jalen Johnson. But what do you make of the bench? Because right now, yes, they have Bogdanovich if he is healthy. And that's a huge if at this moment. And and also a Kongwu. Those are two really high-level guys. And they kind of have this core seven. Um, but beyond that, you know, Justin Holiday is pretty good. But, like, there's some, there's some questions on this bench. And I want to know how, how worried you are about it right now. I think it's pretty clearly the the biggest point of concern heading into the season. When you look at the starting lineup, I mean, they have four top 75 players in their starting lineup. You know, yeah. I mean, Capella is a good starter. Collins is a good starter. Trey's a star. Murray's maybe a lower level star, at least a top 40 player. Like those are four very good starters that you have. I mean, the big question is Hunter, who we'll get to. But the starting lineup to me has potential to be one of the best in the East. And I don't think that that's really a reach at all to say that. They really need to lean on them more this year. I think that they should be among the teams that are at the top of the league as far as the minutes that they allot to their starters. But the bench overall, I mean, when you look at the luxury they've had with Gallinari, who is maybe the best backup for the league, he's been very pivotal for them in closing uh, lineups at times. Um, DeLon Wright really came on for them at the end of the year, and especially in the playoffs. Uh, his skill set is also hard to find. Guys who can defend, who can also handle the ball and play off ball and have the size to play you know, next to guys like Trey, is, it, you don't find that very often, and that's a pretty big departure especially when you look at what they're replacing them with. You know, I mean, Aaron Holiday, uh, it really just kind of depends on, on what you value. I think he's an okay defender, but his most success that he's had is, has come off the ball in offense. He's also undersized. It's hard to play with Trey. Um, so that's a huge downgrade in ball handling quality that you go from right to, to Holiday. And they really just don't have anybody else. You know, I mean, we already know that they're going to plan to stagger Trey and DeJounte, but they're not going to play all 82 games. And the difference between having a ball handler like Holiday and Wright, I mean, that could be worth like one to two wins if you get like an injury or something like that. That could be very important. Um, Justin Holiday, I, I liked his work a lot in India. You know, I live in India. I go to Pacers games. He's a very good catch and shoot player. I also think it's a, important for contextual purposes to point out that he was very poor in, in Sacramento. Yeah. Um, those those midseason trades are tough on players, especially role players, because they're more routine dependent. But he was not good at all there. You know, so he's coming off a, a poor stretch of form. I tend to think that, you know, getting back with McMillan and having an offseason to settle, he's going to look more like the indie version. But I think it is noteworthy because he's he's firmly entrenched in their top eight. So you have to kind of point that out. A Konglu, I'm very optimistic about. Um, I think that uh, I feel that he's going to be their best bench player going into the season. Um, I think that he puts them in a position to kind of you know, keep Capella fresh. They're just, they've been so Capella reliant on defense. You know, if you can kind of get yeah. his minutes down a little bit to try and keep him fresh, um, I think that would be very important. So I could see a Congo having a bigger role this year. And I feel confident about him. Um, Bogdan, I mean, he's, he's coming off. What is it like his second knee procedure in the last 12 months. And we saw last year that he did take a while to get going before he finally did. And he's a year older now. So um, I'm just, you know, I'm not particularly optimistic about that. I mean, who knows? Maybe we don't have all the medical information. Maybe he does look better than expected. But um, outside of those three guys, like it's, it's, it's very thin. You know, if you get a healthy bogey, you can make the case that, you know, at least the top eight is going to be strong. And that's what you really need in the playoffs. But the depth beyond that is, is very unproven. Yeah. And that's kind of where I am, too. Like, I'm not saying it can't work. And I, I've never said that even in sort of expressing my um, I'm not sure what the even word is, like maybe some of my caution about the bench. It's that. You know, some of the guys, and we'll get into a couple of them in a second, like your, your Griffins and your, and your Jalen Johnsons, like, yeah, they're very talented players, but they are, uh, use the word unproved. That's a great word to use because, yeah, they have eight guys 
that I think are locked in and proven. And that assumes Bogey is healthy. And like I said before, like he's going to probably miss some camp at minimum. And we, we just don't know. Plus the 82 game thing is important that you pointed out there. Like even if they do stagger as we believe that they should, um, you know, Trey will probably miss a handful of games. Murray will probably miss a handful of games at minimum, knock on wood, all that stuff. And you got to have a plan for when those guys don't play. And then like, the, the, the uh, sort of extended depth is nothing special. Like, it's not a disaster. Like, I like the Aaron Holiday signing for what it was. It's a one-year minimum deal, but your point is right. Like, he can't, like, run your offense necessarily. You bring in Trent Force on a two-way. That's a deal that I like a lot, but it's a two-way contract. He's not really a, uh, an offensive dynamic creator either. Um, even at back, even at third string center, like Frank Kaminsky, good signing for what it was, but it's a one-year minimum contract. They have Mo Harkless on this team. Mo Harkless is totally fine, but like the, the danger there is that maybe he plays over Jalen Johnson, which which Hawks fans will not love necessarily. So um, I don't know. It's not that the bench is going to be terrible by any means, and I think you also have to kind of price in a little bit of the fact that Murray's going to have uh, if they stagger again, uh, Murray will kind of function. Obviously, not going to be off the bench, but he's going to be playing with bench units a lot, and that does really co- kind of help to boost it. I think Hawks fans. Um, have probably been conditioned a little bit under Nate McMillan to kind of expect these full bench units. And this year, I hope that does really never happen. Um, I'm not a big fan of the full bench unit in general, but especially now with Murray, I think they should at least be leaning on that. Um, and also having, you know, bogey and a kind of, to kind of boost that lineup a little bit. I just think that there isn't a whole lot of overall depth and particularly shooting depth. Something I really kind of passed my concern on a lot about, but like, you know, I know that Gallo, uh, and Herter necessarily, uh, you know, they're, they're flawed players, especially Gallo defensively. I think Herter's kind of a pretty solid across the board guy. But the one thing that we know unequivocally in my mind, and this is not like me saying anything negative about the moves they've made so far, but they do not have as much shooting as they did last year on the entire roster. That is not up for debate. I know AJ Griffin's a good shooter, um, but he's going to be an 18, 19 year old rookie. He's not going to be able to come in and be Kevin Herter um, immediately. And Gallo, for all of his weaknesses, Gallo is a knockdown shooter. And we all know that. So, like, they do have less shooting on this roster. And you can act like that, but it may not, like, bite them. I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all, but, like, it is a at least mild concern to me that they've lost some spacing on this roster. Yeah, it's it's clearly a concern because they were an elite shooting team last year. And they, they really had to improve their defense. And it's so hard to address both defense and shooting because so few players have the same package. Like you just don't get many guys who are good defenders and good shooters. So I think they've kind of, you know, were willing to trade a little bit of shooting just to get better on defense because that was such a big issue for them. Knowing that if you have Trey, you're going to have, you know, a good offense, no matter what, pretty much. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's clearly a big concern. I think that they're going to be with the starting lineup a bit more reliant on Collins as a shooter. I mean, because, you know, Murray's just not much of a shooter at all. Uh, he can get going at times. Uh, when he's confident, he will step into some threes. And um, I, I think he might have some upside there. I mean, I'm not predicting like a big season for him, but I could see him, you know, fit 35% on like, you know, five threes per game, something like that. That's doable for him, in my opinion. Um, but I think they're going to rely on uh, Collins to have a higher three-point rate and make more of them. Uh, Hunter, I think, does have potential as a catch-and-shoot guy. Um, Definitely. So I, I think that you're obviously leaning in on him as well to be a better shooter. Um, Bogey, like I said, is kind of a question mark. And, you know, once you get out of that and you have Justin Holiday, who's been a good catch and shoot guy over the years. So um, there is some potential there, but you just don't have like lethal shooters, you know, in the way that you did with, with Gallinari. Like that pick and pop with Trey and Gallinari was, was pretty devastating. And having that spacing, especially in the front court, was a big deal. And that's something where they've taken a step back. I mean, obviously they can miss – uh, mix Kaminsky in some, but he's just, you know, he's not the player overall that Gallinari is. I don't predict him to play a ton. Um, so the shooting has definitely taken a step back, but I think the defense has gotten better to compensate. 
but it is clearly a, a point of weakness heading into the season, at least relative to last year. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, it's also worth noting that some of my um, pricing in has to do with Bogdanovich. Like if Bogey, if we knew Bogey was going to play 70 games, I'd have a little bit less concern about shooting because he is an awesome shooter. But uh, the question becomes, if he does miss some time, then you really don't have the shooting that you had before. Because then you don't have Bogey, you don't have Herter, you don't have Gallinari. And uh, yeah, they have some guys that can make some shots. I think Holiday is a totally fine shooter, but he's not as good of a shooter as some of those other guys. And uh, there are some questions in the mix there. I do want to ask you specifically about the young guys while I have you, because I know you did a lot of draft work about AJ Griffin and also Jalen Johnson, just kind of, um, we've all, we've all been excited about him, but he's not played a lot of minutes. Um, even at the G league level, he didn't play a ton of minutes last year. So I wonder what you make of that. Well, I guess we'll start with Jalen Jalen, because he is, I think we know at this point, he's at least going to be in a battle for minutes, uh, the backup four. I know Hawks fans have written him in pen behind John Collins. I don't blame you. He is obviously much more talented than more Harkless, but he is not proven to be an NBA player at this point in time. Now, I think he is. I love the talent. I love that draft pick. I think Jalen has a ton of upside, but uh, that's a different, there's a different thing between proving it and having the theoretical potential to do it. So uh, I wonder what you, what, what you sort of project in your mind for Jalen Johnson, knowing that we have not seen him for a while. And as a reminder, he also is going to miss most of the summer, if not all of the summer with this injury, the cuts about a summer league, et cetera, which I'm sure it's not going to be a, a huge deal long-term from what I hear, but at the same time, he's not been playing basketball a ton recently. I was a big fan of him as a prospect. Like I, I had him as a, a top 10 player in that draft. I mean, he has, I would say like near elite hands. I mean, he had the biggest hands of the combine. Um, he's got great touch with them. He's a good finisher. Um, he can make nice passes. Like I, I think his game really starts with the fact that he has very good hands and you have to figure out a way on offense to kind of um, bring that out. Uh, so I think trying to find what his offensive role is going to be a big question. Um, he's a good passer from the post, but that's just not a type of offense that, you would think that they're going to feature a lot of, but he, he does have the ability to, to thread some nice passes there. He's a good ball handler, at least in transition. So he has the potential to kind of grab a rebound and take it off the floor. And that could be, you know, you could produce some, some fun highlights with that too, because he's such a big guy, but he does have that as a strength. Um, I think that shooting is really the key area for him, just as far as how he's going to integrate into a, you know, an NBA rotation. If he can just become a respectable corner three shooter, I don't think he has to be a great one. Just enough to force defenses to close out. That's something he could do. Um, when he starts to refine his handle a little bit more in the half court, I think he does have some potential to do a little bit of isolation stuff. Um, he just hasn't played a lot of basketball like in the last few years. It's it's like really incredible how little he's played because he bounced around high school as he left Duke early, didn't play much in the G League. He was very good in the G League, but that didn't play a lot. So he, he really is a total mystery box, but – his, you know, the, the, the physical tool baseline that he has is, is very impressive. Um, so they're going to have to be patient with him. He's essentially a rookie, you know, so yep. I think he should have rookie level expectations for how he's going to function. I don't expect him to play a ton. I mean, like, like, you know, back end of the rotation is route I project. And really like, you know, this should be a year where John Collins like pushes for career high in minutes, you know, because Gallo is gone. They're going to have to rely on him more because they don't have proven depth behind him. But Overall, long-term, I, I think I am like cautiously optimistic about Johnson. You just have to wonder about how much development time he's missed and how that might affect him. He doesn't really know how to play defense right now. Um, so it, they're going to have to figure out what his offensive role is. I, I think he could have potential as a role man, maybe not Collins level, but his hands and his finishing is just so impressive. I think that there's upside there with, with the playmakers that they have on offense now. Um, so it, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't think anybody has like a good – you know, guess at what he's going to look like, but <laughs> I, I do really like the talent level. 
Yeah, I, I agree across the board. I've always liked the talent. That was a that was a heist of a value in the draft. And like you said, he only played 21 games last year in the G League. And that was across all of the, you know, the showcase, the ignite, regular season, all that stuff, all of the G League stuff combined. And he had great numbers, like you said. Like counting stats are there. He shot 36% from three on decent, decent enough volume, like you know, 80 attempts or so. Um, free throw attempts, uh, free throw uh, accuracy, not not so good, but like I think he's gonna be solid, and I really, really hope whether it's a mandate from the top or whatever, that they go into the season hoping and projecting him to be the backup four. I think there is a little bit of um, temptation for Nate to maybe lean on Mo Harkless. Mo Harkless is a pro. I think that, um, you know, in, in a vacuum, I'm probably going to be higher on Mo Harkless than most people would be. And I still think they need to try Jalen extensively and try Jalen until he proves he can't play. He talks about the defense. That's the concern. You know, this I know this coaching staff has not always been the favorite of everybody and nor me at times, but I think that we know that Nate leans to defense, and that's maybe not the greatest thing when you talk about Jalen Johnson. I think the tools are pretty good defensively for Jalen. But last year, that was one of the reasons why he didn't play. And I try to tell people that he wasn't going to play is because of defense. Um, you know, Moharkless is that sort of safe option. I hope that they play Jalen. I hope they play him early and often. And we'll, we'll know in training camp. I think you know that. All I can hear is that he's on track to be there for training camp. I don't know anything differently, so that'd be a nice thing for him to be at least be around for that. I wish we I wish we would have seen him in Vegas. That'd have been nice to just catch a glimpse of him. But at the same time, I don't think yeah. that would change a whole lot for like this year necessarily. It's just one of those things. Like he's going to play, but I'm with you on Collins. I think Collins is going to play more, not less. So like, there's only so big of a role there, but there is a role, and hopefully Johnson, Johnson can fill it. Yeah, he would have been nice to see the summer league because he was so good there last year. And I just feel like he he really could have shined in that format. Another thing, too, is under McMillan, they, they've really overall started to, to shift this to more of a Nate McMillan-style team. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> with, the, with the higher emphasis on attacking mismatches, I think that is something that you could start to develop uh, Jalen Johnson to do because he does have good scoring touch, and he's just so huge. Like if you could get him, you yeah. know, cross match with a smaller player, he could really hurt that in the matchup because he has the ability to put the ball on the floor in a way that Collins doesn't quite have. So I think that that's an area of his skill set that you would want to grow. And I think that's something that they could, you know, unlock more team offense upside down the line. But yeah, it, it's it's very fascinating to see how he's going to play. Big Tom, I'm glad you mentioned that too because you're right. He, he actually he does have some Nate um, tendencies on offense that might be useful if they can sort of augment them, and uh, we will definitely see. Quickly on Griffin, um, I am one to say always that uh, I keep expectations very, very, very low, especially for non uh, non elite rookies and also guys who are as young as Andrew Griffin is, especially with the injuries that he's had, etc. I did love the draft pick as much at the time, but like. What do you think of him both as a draft pick? Because I know you cover that draft extensively and also like for his rookie season, because I think there might be a path to playing time, especially if Bogey has a, a slow start or something like that. But at the same time, they probably aren't going to be slated to play him a lot. I think he'll probably play some in College Park as well. I'd really like the pick. I mean, I think if he didn't have the injury concerns, I think it's pretty safe to say he would have gone in the lottery. Like that's almost yeah. certainly the reason Agreed. that he he fell that he way, uh, the way that he did. I mean, he's arguably the best shooter in the draft um he has a funky shooting form like he kind of catapults it with like a super wide base like it it doesn't really look like the shooting form you'd expect from like a 40 something you know percent three-point shooter but he's consistent with it and like they always go down um i also think he can he has potential off uh dribble drives to score there too as like a pull-up mid-range guy there um so i think he could have quite a bit of offensive potential i think he could be a better rim finisher perhaps than someone like a DeAndre Hunter has shown. Um, so that's another area where he could develop almost like a, a three level score in some ways. I mean, we'll have to flesh out 
that part of his game because it's, it is more shooting dependent now. His, his step back threes are just so impressive, like very high level for a guy that you know, was a young uh, college freshman. Um, so offensively, I think there's a lot to like. I mean, we talked about how the shooting is going to take a step back. So it's very natural just to say, hey, we've 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 addressed defense. Now we're going to try to um, develop him as a long term shooter, maybe someone that could replace Bogdan down the line in the rotation like that could be a useful skill set to have. Um, so he could be a really nice fit with uh, Murray lineups for that reason, for the extra spacing. Um, you also have to say, too, that I think he was up there, if not the worst defender in the draft. Um, he, he just has slow feet. Yeah, um, it's 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 really a big problem right now. There are times in uh, the college season, particularly in Miami game where they, they really targeted him and went after him. Um, I don't know how much upside he has there. He has good physical tools outside of like relatively slow feet. Like he's got a good wingspan and he's strong. So he's not like a lost cause. But I think that you're essentially hoping for like neutral level defense, not positive defense. And that's always going to be a concern, at least if you view him as like a long term starter in a Trey Young team. Because um, you don't really want like poor defense at like the point of attack and at um, at the forward spot. Like that's that's too important. Um, so that's definitely a big concern of mine, and I think that's another reason he might have fallen. Uh, but overall, I mean, I love the value. Like I said, if if it wasn't for the injuries, he would have gone higher. And there's a ton to like on offense, for sure. And I think that um, you know when you when you throw in how questionable to be kind he was defensively at Duke, and also the fact that just rookies are generally going to struggle defensively. I know there are, there, are, there are exceptions to that. You know, people always throw Herb Jones back at me. I'm like, Herb Jones is a freak, and I know you uh, know him very well, Roll Tide and such for yourself there, Andrew. Roll um, Tide. Uh, but uh, all due respect to Edgy Griffin, he's not Herb Jones. So defensively, it's not going to go very well, I don't think, early on. I do think that they might be tempted and probably should be tempted to use Griffin if Bogey has a slow start uh, just for the shooting. They're probably just going to need somebody that knock, knock down shots. But I uh, certainly would guess he does not play a lot this year. No, he, maybe he's thrust into action. And I'll just say this now. I know, I know no one will listen to this. You know the deal here very well, Andrew. But Hawks fans won't listen. Um, it is not going to be a big deal to me if he doesn't play this year. Uh, very much same, same as Johnson. I, you know, last year there were times where I was like, look, they should be playing Jalen Johnson. I would have tried him by now, but overall it didn't bother me a ton. That'll be the same this year for AJ Griffin. If they have injuries, go ahead and try them. If, if they're full strength, I, I do understand not playing him a lot. Cause he's again, he's still 18 as we talk right now. I think maybe, maybe just turned 19. He's very young and he's definitely more of a long-term play. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. It's, it's hard to envision a, a full-time rotation role for him. And certainly he should play. Um, I think he probably does end up playing more than Jalen Johnson just because they're they're thinner now. And yeah. if Bogey gets off to a slow start, like you said, I mean, you should mix him in. If, if the shooting pops like right out of the box, and there's a chance that it will, um, he could end up having a role. And really, when you look at the you know at the at the bench as a whole, they're going to need somebody to be like a surprise contributor. You know, that could be Jalen Johnson, Griffin, uh, Tyrese Martin. They're going to need somebody to kind of like unexpectedly contribute in a way that uh, could lend to like a ninth man kind of role. Like they just, they need better depth in the back half of the rotation. So one of those younger guys emerging as a, a playable uh, asset there would be big for them. So like I said, it, it's, it's hard to, to see him having a big role this year, but the shooting is, is, is so impressive that it wouldn't shock me if he, if he got on the court. All right, that's it for part one of myself and Andrew talking about all things Hawks in August. Please stay tuned for part two, which will be available right now on your podcast player of choice. Please subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. We'll see you next time.